So the way um, the way uh, that we'll we'll structure our our time together um, will be, uh, I guess you could say, in uh, classic Drisha style. And I also I also do this with my longer classes at uh, at JTS as well, where I'm where I'm on the uh, I've been on the faculty for a while. Um, where I'll give a brief intro uh, now. Hopefully, if people got the source sheets, or they're getting them now. And uh, and then we'll and then I'll tell you which uh, which of the sources to focus on in uh, in some chavruta for uh, for a while. Um, probably we'll do chavruta for I'll see how it's going, but probably for about um, 40 minutes or so. Um, and I'll uh, rove around, try to answer questions, and talk talk with as many of you that way as as, as I can. And then uh, then we'll take a short break, and we'll come back together. Um, for more kind of uh, uh, classic seminar shiur style, that kind of kind of thing. For many of you, this this model is very familiar, but uh, but just uh, just so you can know what to expect. So um, as usual, I think I dramatically overestimated um, how many sources. But you know what? You're going to have so so many more, so much more opportunity to study these. Uh, afterwards, that uh, that I don't even need to need to say that, um, but um, uh, part of what we're going to do, most of this is going to be focused on on uh, uh, the Jewish sources, Kabbalistic sources, Kabbalistic ethical sources, um, and then uh, there's also, as you can see here, there's also also uh, selected and distributed a few selections um, from medieval Christian mysticism about uh, spiritual uh, friendship and um, and love as as a reflection of the relationship with the divine. So so kind of already already stepped into stepped into the waters of our of our of our topic. Um, so in in thinking in thinking about um, a a topic that would be um, that would that would evoke. Uh, the correlations between uh, Judaism and Christianity, really through Jewish sources, but uh, but to some extent um, blurring the boundaries between what uh, what we sometimes uh, assume is uh, is um, uh, a Christian province of thought versus Jewish province uh, of thought, um, and the and the topic for today is the question of love. Specifically, the relationship, um, and as we'll see in the sources, actually the integrated unity of Vahavta Lerecha Kamocha, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, um, and Vahavta Tadunai Elohecha, and you shall love the Lord your God. And um, there's one piece in here also. Uh, that also looks the third, you might say, pillar of that, the other human pillar of that, which is Vahavten Etager, right? You shall love the stranger. Um, but the the point really of of this, and the, both re- really through the through these uh, uh, Kabbalistic sources that I'll introduce in a moment, and then by way of comparison to some Christian reflections, the point of this is to say that these two modalities of love, these two commands or imperatives of ve'ahavta, you shall love. Um, one uh, between human beings and the other um, uh, human beings of God, ben adam l'chavirom, ben adam are actually understood to be 
one. Uh, of course, the mystics love to say the two are one or the many are one, so that works well um, uh, anyway. But this is actually, I think, making a, a fundamentally powerful point about the unity of moral discourse and spiritual devotion or theological discourse. Um, in, in the sense, really, uh, of, of what's, of what's um, evoked in this first passage that I, that I um, provided here on page one, an excerpt from, uh, famous, uh, an excerpt from Immanuel Levinas' famous um, uh, book, 20th century book, uh, Totality and Infinity, in which he says that, that uh, ethics is the spiritual optics. So what that really means is that uh, it's through the ethical life, that is to say through the encounter and the sense of responsibility to toward uh, the other human being that divine presence becomes um, manifest. And, um, and I think even, and, and as Buber says, uh, says uh, here, Martin Buber says in his I Am Thou, I cited here as well, that extended the lines of relationships, that is to say, between human beings, intersect in the eternal you, that is to say, the eternal you of God. Every single you is a glimpse of that. Um, that, uh, that the eternal you of divinity uh, becomes revealed and manifest through um, human encounter, and, and a particular kind of human encounter. But I think as we're going to see in the sources that we're going to look at momentarily, particularly from the Shla, the Shneemukot Tavrit, which, um, uh, which some of you who were here on, on Monday, I introduced a little bit, uh, the Shla authored by Rabbi Isaiah Horowitz in the early 17th century is a major classic of of mysticism, ethics, uh, custom, law, and many other, and, and commentary, many other, um, many other uh, genres, a multi-volume work, and a great classic in the history of um, Jewish ethics and Jewish mysticism. As he says, I think even more boldly, that it's that it's really in the in the um, in the event or process of loving another person, right, and, and here this is in the broadest sense, I think, of, of friendship and of care for the other, in addition certainly to intimate love, one is loving God. And the love of God is the love of human being. And, and this is a framing question um, I think has really profound implications for the way in which we think about moral discourse and moral interaction as a spiritual practice and as a modality of theology and theological um, encounter. Right. So, so I would say that the the opening um, challenge to you to us is in what way. Can we think 
about the Ahavta you shall love the Lord your God, and Ahavta Kamocha, and in fact the Metager, you shall love the stranger, as entirely united and inseparable. So so what I'd like us um, what I'd like what I'd like you to do then, bearing bearing uh, that that uh, grounding question uh, in, in mind, that is to say that that love broadly understood is the grounding principle of a human life lived in theological commitment and moral responsibility. That love is the service, the avoda, by which one stands in the presence of God and stands in the presence of God in the act of standing in the presence, or as Levinas would say centuries after Horowitz, um, standing in the infinitely commanding presence of the other person whose, whose, very, uh, whose very presence commands me to a, to a uh, posture of, of ethical respect and humility that is not about my own ego, but is fundamentally about that other uh, person. Um, so what I'd like you to focus on, so now turning in this packet um, to the to page where it says page two of five and um, page three of five and the first half of page four of four of five, that is to say um, the texts from the Shla, the Shnigokotabri that I have here both in um, the uh, original Hebrew and in, in uh, my translations uh, into English. Um, what I'd like you to do is to, is to read through um, those sources uh, together in, uh, in Chavruta, um, really identifying um, the Shla's contribution to this particular question, right? How, how is this issue that I just framed for us being developed, how is it developed and articulated by, um, by Rabbi Isaiah Horowitz? Um, how does he do that through the use of exegesis, of interpretation, of the use of verses, and the juxtaposition of verses, right, in classic Jewish fashion? How is thought developed exegetically or hermeneutically? Um, and what are the kinds of images and symbols? What kind of a what kind of a theology emerges from these these excerpts? And um, what kind of an anthropology? That is to say, what kind of a theory of being human as a form of theological living? Um, and then. Um, what I'd like you to do is compare this with um, one of the excerpts uh, from the um, from the Christian mystical sources, and these these sources were um, if you see the, the last pages are taken from um, a volume edited by my um, 
by my uh, revered friend and colleague, uh, Professor Bernard McGinn, uh, The Essential Writings of Christian Mysticism, um, a, a passage uh, from the medieval 12th century mystic uh, Alred of uh, Riveau. Uh, particularly, um, you could you could read the you could read the editor's summary there to get a little bit of a sense of it in the italics, um, and then also um, uh, and then and then the uh, and, and then the um, uh, the first several pages here. That's pages 136, 137, 138, 139. Read as much of it. Um, uh, as you can, or, 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 or look through a few sections of it, really to, with an eye to the question of, well, so how is this idea, right, as, as it's framed here, of spiritual friendship, understood also by the Christian mystic in this case as an encounter with the divine, right, which he articulates sometimes as an encounter with God, sometimes as an encounter with Christ. Uh, so, so the, but the, but the deep commonality between um, these two these these two medieval well, Schla is a little bit later, but this is certainly centuries later, but this is certainly also found in earlier medieval Jewish mysticism. This deep commonality between mystics of different faiths, and of course our emphasis is certainly on the Jewish sources, <clears throat> to what extent are these sources revealing to us the idea that friendship and love more broadly is a spiritual practice, is a modality by which the divine is encountered and becomes present. Okay? Um, so that's what I'd like you to, to, uh, to center on in your Chavruta discussions. Um, you can, you can uh, feel free to focus on a smaller amount of that if you, if you wish, uh, depending on, on, how, on how the time uh, goes. Any, any initial Questions before we break up into into Chabrita, please. Question is, what do they mean by by love? Um, and uh, ah, you asked a good question. Um, yes, that, that's by the way a pedagogical technique. If you don't have an immediate answer, you say that's a very good question. Uh, the the. Uh, Another one is, what do you think about it? Those things can be written. Yes, so, so um, I actually genuinely want to leave that question open for now and see if you can formulate an answer to that based on the sources that, that you start preparing. And then we're going to read them together again and talk about them again together. So I think the question you're asking really is at the heart of it. Right? What, what is that... What does that mean? What, what, what do these sources mean by love? Is it the same thing that we think of when we say love? Um, and certainly the words are used already in the Hebrew Bible, right? Uh, uh, these verses, these uh, key verses that are grounding this discourse are, of course, the orientation for the Jewish discourse and the Christian discourse. So, but continuing to probe what, what is meant by that, and I think it has a web of associated meanings, um, will, be, will be at the heart, so to speak, of what we um, will be exploring.
Um, so why don't we start? Uh, I know you, I know that everyone um, uh, has has uh, already been um, activating lots of uh, lots of uh, thoughts and and uh, about this material. So maybe let's let's begin. I'd like to begin by by hearing from uh, from uh, a few of you who would like to share uh, what what were some of the um, some of the big ideas or the deep insights that you feel um, you, you, you're taking away from your discussion in, in Chavruta as it relates to, to the texts. Please. So, thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting observation. I, I, I myself would be uh, would be reluctant to to, to fully make that um, uh, divide without a lot of qualifications because I think there there are many other Christians. I mean, obviously, we're responding to specific sources, so that's, that's going to be fair. There are many other Christian sources and Christian teachers who are very much about. Um, Finding the divine in the ordinary and in ordinary human relationships, and um, and and the, and the Jewish sources right here. Of course, we're talking about um, uh, just the just the shla and, and a portion of the of the shla at, at, at that can also be very um, can also be very uh, secretive and exclusivist and so forth. Um, as well, so so I guess I guess in some ways we're see, we're we're seeing certain certain more prominent aspects of these sources um, in, in that in that respect. Um, but I'd be I'd be I'd be reluctant to uh, to to fu- to fully um, uh, paint the dichotomy quite that way. I think that certainly there there was more of a mon- of a monastic trend in in. Uh, uh, in certainly medieval Christianity, as you're as you're noting, but there were parallels also within within uh, within uh, Jewish spiritual culture um, as well. So I think I, so. Yeah. Just a brief comment on that. I hear what you're saying, but the fact this guy was a monk, so that's where he's coming from. Right. That's his experience. And I I was actually kind of surprised people that didn't see quite as otherworldly as I had expected it to be. Right, it's true, because this, this was a reflection on, specifically on on, uh, on friendship and spiritual friendship. There are there are other Christian mystical sources, even, even within this, this packet, right, his teacher, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was, an, who was another even more famous medieval Christian mystic, speaks at the end of this, at the end of our packet, look at it, Tabrutha, on the love of God and, and, and a kind of ultimate mystical union, which is a far more, you might say, world-transcending type of love, which also is found extensively in the Jewish sources as well. 
thank you. What, what else did you find? What else did you talk about? I know there was a lot of good stuff that was talked about. Please. Speaking to the speaking to the to the Jewish sources, I think. Well, first of all, I think this is also one of the great great broader dilemmas, right? Of of, um, of especially especially if one if one were to say, well, well can or can you be religiously devout and ethically compromised? Right? And and uh, and a lot of people seem to think that that's either they seem to think that's possible or or that or that, uh, that they're not being ethically compromised, right? But there are many who would say that, uh, that there are plenty of people who would profess to be um, uh, pious, but are uh, deeply morally uh, flawed. Um, the cause of that pious? Right, perhaps in the sense of a certain kind of, uh, a certain kind of Fundamentalist or narrow view of what it is to be, uh, what it is to be devout or a pious person. Um, um, so that, so, but, but the, I think the, the, the core question that you're also that you're raising, which is a, to some extent, is a, is a, um, emerges from emerges from our fundamental question of what is the relationship between theology and ethics, right? What is the relationship between a, a life that, that attempts to live, a person who seeks to live their life at, in the love of God, um, in relationship to God, to what extent can that be separated at all from an attempt to live a life of, um, of moral responsibility toward other human beings here framed through the language of uh, love of others, or the language of peace, right? Peace toward, another, toward other human beings in the, in, the, in the broadest sense, and then also in the most intimate sense of um, of the of, of romantic love, right? Or a spousal love, or couple of love, right? What do you think, Brother Harlan, would say about fundamentalists? About fundamentalists fighting with each other? Yeah. In the name of the love of God, I mean, bitter, bitter animosity. Like how does that? How would he, I wonder how this would apply. What would he say about 
Yeah, well, I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't seen something specific that he says about it, but I can at least, I can at least say, and maybe we'll, 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 I'd like to hear another thought as well. The, um, if we think back to Moshe Cordovero, the Ramak, who preceded the Shlag, we talked about him on, uh, some of us talked about him on, on Monday, but specifically this Tomer Devorah, the palm tree of Deborah, the great classic of, um, of uh, 16th century mystical Kabbalistic ethics, fun, the, the, the guiding way in which one is to realize one's createdness in the image of God, of being the Tzelem Elohim, is to live a life that is kind toward other people, that is to live a life that, is, that emulates the, 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 the the foundation of compassion and empathy of Rachamim that flows first from the highest divine reaches and that infuses all that is, right? And that, and that before anything else, right? And in fact, realizing our theology in our anthropology, that is to say, realizing our way of thinking about God in our human lives and in, the, in our way of understanding our humanness is to say that just as God's whole self flows from the purest of Rachamim, Cordovero says, purest of empathy and compassion and love, and all the rest of the sphero, these dimensions, these emanated dimensions of divinity flow from the first place of Rachamim, so too must yourself, must you, must we, as individuals, have strive to have to live our lives in such a way that Rachamim pervades and grounds all that we do, right? That that compassion and empathy toward the other becomes the fundamental way of living theologically, which is to say that living a life of moral the moral imperative, which is first and foremost grounded in compassion toward where every encounter begins with a posture of compassion and not of severity and harshness. It doesn't mean that there isn't a place for strictness, right? But that everything should be imbued with compassion. Then one truly lives a life of Salamelohim. And that's, that's really, that's the orienting point of Cordovero and, and he had a huge influence on um, on subsequent mystical ethical thinkers of the 16th and 17th centuries like um, Davida, who is the author of the Rishi Kofman, by Parvitz, who is the author of the Shla. Um, let's let's turn now into one other big idea that emerged from your Kavruta, and then read some text together and talk about it um, uh, that way, please. Uh, we talked about how, like, really, the Shla was anything that wasn't just a relationship, but really the love of God. Wasn't just a sorry. Very nice, right? So, so is it is it that one um, right? Is is it that is it that the one brings about the other, right? Causal, or or is it that when all is said and done, the deepest the deepest message that is conveyed here is that love 
of other people, that is to say, relationship that is infused with compassion and empathy and kindness and, and all the various things that love should entail, that that way of being is relating to God, right? In the sense that God, God actually manifests in the presence of the person, in the face of the other. Right? And, and you saw this in a, in a few places where we discussed it in your coverage a little bit. That the person becomes a becomes called by the very name of God. Right? And 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 we know from the tradition that God's name and God are one, right? And similar things are said about the name that a person is known by and how that reflects their true essence in some Way, which is which is to say that the name one is called by has some sign- signification of one's very being. So to be called by the name of God is essentially to say that you are embodying divinity in some very deep way. Um, and the name of God, the name of God in that um, in that uh, piece, in that uh, excerpt at the bottom of page. Uh, two is that God is called Shalom, right? Shmo Shel Hakadosh Baruch Hu Shalom. The name for the name of the Holy Blessed One is peace. Um, yes. very nice and, and it's also the sense of the as you said the imperative of it right the, the sense of that sense of ve'ahavta as a kind of um, that, that, that carries a kind of urgency and a kind of um, um, necessity right that the commandedness what is it what is that sense of the commandedness to love in this sense it's also about the awareness of of the of the powerful moral urgency of of relating to other people through the prism of um, of love. Yes, very nice. Right, right. It's also it's also speaking directly to the individual. Um, let's. 
let's read a couple of a couple of pieces together to get also get a flavor for some for some of the Hebrew. Let's, let's start. Let's start toward the beginning, at least. Is it somebody who uh, would feel comfortable reading a little bit of the Hebrew out loud? I can. Let's uh, Page, page two. The, the, let's start with the, the first piece. The Hafta at the mile and a half. הנה מחוברות אלה שתי אהבות, המתייחדים המתייחדות, על ידי אחדותו יתברך, וכן אנו מסיימים... So let's just pause there for just, for just a moment, right? So, so, so first we see the, um, the citation of the, of, the, of the grounding biblical verses, right? And the, and the juxtaposition of the two, right? So it's first the citation of of the Ahavta, right, the, the, uh, that verse from Dvarim, which, which is of course part of the, part of the Shema, and then the Ahavta Kamocha from, ba- from Baikra. And in citing both of those two, the next move is to say, Hinei Mechubarot Elu Shtei Ahavot. Right, Mechubarot and Mityachadot, um, and becoming, they, are, they are joined and united. Al yidei achduto yitbarach. Right. So by way of the divine unity and the divine unifying power, these two imperatives to love are joined one to the other. Become, they become one. Right. This is, and this this itself is. Is quite um, is quite significant, right? And it's and it's, and it's particularly it through Achdutoit Barach. That is to say, by connecting it theologically, by connecting it to to God and God's unity, my my moral responsibility to my fellow human being becomes becomes infused and totally inseparable from my um, devotional imperative, my covenantal devotional imperative to love God. That is to say, that is to say, I can't love God without loving my fellow human being. And by the same logic here, I can't love my fellow human being without also loving God because the two are essentially are essentially one, right? And it goes on to talk about the um, the twofold, the twofold, the, the twofold of the mutual nature of that covenantal love. The ve'ahavta adam part of human being, or part of the part of the Jew in this in this specific case, or the Israelite in this particular case, and the divine love that is ha'bocher v'amo Yisrael ve'ahava and ohev v'amo Yisrael. Right, formulations of divine love for Israel that are that are part of the liturgy for the Shema. Right, so this is this sense of the love of God for the Jewish people and the Jewish people's love for God. Both of which, or at least the um, both of which, are bound up in the imperative 
to uh, to to act to to realize in action and in behavior one's love for um, for other people. Beautiful, and, and and in that sense, right? My my behavior in the world, um, uh, in ways that I didn't think were theological, or I didn't think were spiritual, be, that are just about ordinary ordinary human encounters, become a a spiritual a spiritual practice. And might relating to what you're just saying, right? It might it might be seen. Uh, directly in relationship to this statement of um, right that the, that uh, that God's love is a, is a certain kind of pure, freely given love, right? Love with no thought of uh, of return, right? That that sense of right that God is able to do that which is um, seemingly so hard for us with egos, right? Though according to the Hebrew Bible, it would seem that God had. A very strong ego, right? but but still, um, but still, this language seeks to articulate something else, right? That God gives, God loves with a freely given love, not expecting in return, or at least that's how we want to idealize it. And so, too, the act of, of spreading love in the world, if we see it that way, or at least right, love in the form of basic kindness, um, become ways of channeling divine love, you might say, that are ways of of, of giving, uh, of participating in that in that in that divine circle of love with humanity, in which um, right it's a delicate balance of are we somehow extracting the individual humanity of a person or myself from all of that if we're all part of divinity, but it's also a way of just seeing our fundamental humanity and our responsibility to treat other people with humanity as all, as a theological statement, right? It's realizing that there is no separating our humanity from our theological orientation, from our living a life of theological meaning and, and spiritual purpose, right? And thereby, my moral behavior in the world and my responsibility to other people is inevitably a theological and spiritual Well, is there something different in in the statement that somehow those two commands to love should be seen as the same thing? 
Do you think that that is the shot? That this, that that's straightforward in the biblical text? Right. So, so, so in the in the in the you know, as straightforward as this, you're absolutely right. Right. So that the both that, that these are two commandments that are that are given. Right. He's he's certainly picking up on that, but then he's choosing to juxtapose them, right, or to place them next to each other as having some meaning that each one can shine on the other. And why? Because they both have that hot thing, right? And, and you could say the same thing also for, well, what's that other, what's that third command to love, right? So the, the kind of the midrashic exegete, right, or the, or the, the Jewish interpretive homiletical imaginer often thrives on these kinds of suggest, suggestive similarities, right? That uh, um, what meaning can I derive because I believe as a midrashist that the Torah is eternally meaningful in ways that I can't anticipate, which goes back to older midrashic notions. So therefore, the fact that I see that these three different commands in the Bible utilize the same word and utilize the same imperative of the word, what does that teach me? Right? That's coming to teach me something, the midrash, the, the homilist, the, the darshan wants to say. And then his answer to that is, well, think about it this way. These are actually all part of the same thing, of what it is to be a human being who lives, and not just a human being, but a Jew who fulfills the divine command to love. What does that mean? It means to live a life that is caring and empathic and loving toward other people, but that is simultaneously fulfilling the imperative to love God because of this correlation. Um, I'm sorry. Our challenge is our challenge is going to be to live uh, live our daily lives for as long as possible in light of um, in light of the suggestion that that each person on the street, each person we encounter, um, is in some way deserving of at least a fragment of that love, right? Or at least some element of our posture in life should be oriented by that ahavta. Please. I think you're absolutely right. And again, I'm thinking of one of my favorite books, Tomer Devorah. Like you're going to have this class around in my good, I read Tomer Devorah. Uh, it's going to be flying off the shelves all over New York. Uh, the, the, um, so Cordovero in Tomer Devorah says, um, in that very context, right, he both says that you should try to be a force for tranquility 
and calmness as opposed to a force for irritability and anger, right? And you can see the logic in that, that it's off, awfully hard to live your life that way. But he also specifically says, um, and, he, and, he, and he says, he, he articulates that um, also in a kind of, see if I can, uh, a kind of, kind of theology or anthrop uh, theological anthropology of facial expression. Um, what do I mean by that? He basically says that just as God above has the purest calm and, and rachamim and tranquility, so too should every aspect of your head and your face reflect that. So you should try to meditate and focus on relaxing your forehead. And this, and this is also the, the basis, I think, for a very powerful meditation. But relax your forehead in the sense of thinking about all of the tension that you hold in your forehead. And now everybody's like, my God, what's my forehead doing? <laughs> can you see my forehead? I can see your forehead. Uh, the, um, to relax your forehead as an embodiment, as an expression of radiating a force of calm and tranquility and kindness. And to be able to be a force for other people to literally and figuratively relax their forehead. Right? Which in, I suppose you could say certainly, in, in embodied mindfulness meditation terms, right, which are adapted from, from Buddhist uh, types of meditation, even bringing your attention to the fact that you need to relax your forehead, and is my forehead tense or is my forehead calm, itself is a meditative practice. But to think about that as embodying theology, right, and that I'm embodying divine tranquility in that moment, and I'm radiating divine compassion and love in that moment. And then, and then Cordovero goes on to say, that you should always be relating to other people the sever panim yafo, which is which means with a kind of um, uh, kind and sincere gaze, kind of countenance, right? That your face should have um, should radiate kindness and goodness, um, and and right, that you're happy to see someone, that you're that you're that you're smiling at them and so forth with sincerity um, and that those that those gestures those very embodied gestures are also forces for interpersonal um, love right um, whether of the more general kind or the more intimate kind right how we express ourselves with our faces hopefully with sincerity become become forces by which we are vessels and in fact embodiments of divine love. Um, and I think this, this thematic of being a, of the human being and the human act of love as, and in all that that means, right, compassion, empathy, harmony, peacefulness, that these ways of being in the world are, are ways of becoming a channel for or an actual embodiment of 
that divine force of harmony, peace, and tranquility is reflected in this reflection, reflected in this reflection on uh, shalom, on God as shalom. If God is, is at God's essence the ideal of peace, the ideal of shalom, Right? Shalom bein adam b'chaveiro, and as we'll see, shalom bein ish ishto between between uh, uh, two between between two members of a of a loving partnership. That the human being then is an embodiment of divinity as peace, divinity as shalom. So let's let's start by looking um, specifically then reading together the bottom on page two, and then we'll turn to um, uh, to, to that last piece uh, about uh, about Ishve uh, Ishto. Um, And uh, so, so would, would someone like to uh, like to keep? Would you like to keep reading, or or, 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 or would you like to give it to someone else? Um, I think I probably interrupted you after only a sentence or two. The last one. Uh, the, yeah, the last one on on page two, starting with the Hadavik Bashalom. Uh, let's just pause there for a second. So, so this is a very uh, rich passage, in, in my opinion, right? And, it's, and so first saying that, so hadavik bashalom, that is to say, right, one who who binds one's um, self to the practice of peace and peacefulness. Right? Because the one who is hadavik bashalom is Right, so it's saying, what what is it to be um, What is it to be cleaved to, bound to, united with, giving oneself over to the virtue, the value of 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 shalom? That that is one who fulfills the the injunction: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but as we see in the subsequent lines, be- precisely because God is Shalom, and God is called Shalom, and Echad, right? God's name and God are one thing, then to become Dabuk to Shalom, to be cleaved united and bonded to peace, um, which it says is, is fulfilled by the act of loving one's neighbor as oneself is also the cleaving to God because God is called peace. Right? And that's why when one fulfills the virtue of shalom through as Hashem. 
that you are called by God's name when you fulfill a rather bold statement, right? Um, perhaps perhaps uh, meant to make us um, uh, theologically uncomfortable uh, a, a little bit, right? Why? Because it's meant to um, stir us up to the idea that we in our humanity, we in our humanness, can be and perhaps should be understood as revelations of nothing less than divinity. That there is not this great abyss and chasm between the transcendent God that sits on a throne of judgment beyond this world and, and our lives in this world, but rather that God dwells in this world and God is manifest in this world and in the depths of the human self and in the face of the other and is, and is no more revealed and no more embodied and manifest than in the act of than in the cultivation of Shalom. Right? Because right? What does that mean? Right? That the love that the imperative to love God is directed toward. The kavanah for that is ahavta l'reyecha kamocha. And it's stated very explicitly, ha-mekayim zeh, mekayim zeh. Like one who fulfills the one fulfills the other. Whether it's causally or perhaps even more so, they are united. They are the same thing at some deep level. When did you read? What the Alright, so what do you so what do you think about this? What is this what 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 is this what is this kind of a theology this kind of a way of, of blending the the ethical and the spiritual, in what way, what does that evoke in you? What is that, uh, does that speak to you? Does it not speak to you? Please. Maybe it says to love and others to see the face of God. The, 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 who says? Limitz. Oh, Limitz, yes. <laughs> hey, I opened the door, yeah, it's true, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like the love we're talking about here, and the piece we're talking about, is like touchy feeling, like you know, like groovy. Everything's, everything's cool. I'm all about the groovy. Man. So, so what I'm wondering is, are there? I mean, like what about tough love, right? Um, what about 
boundaries. It, it just feels like this. I mean, I know you're doing it just a selection, but it feels like it's so much. Yes, and, and I think that the, my answer to that would be um, um, that these catalysts, uh, including Cordovero and, and others, who see um, the, the range of human behavior um, as, uh, or, or the ideal, the ideal uh, cultivation of, of human behavior as the realization of in, their, in one's actions, um, that that also takes into account the fact that within the spherot, within these ten dimensions of God, there is also deen. There is a lot of deen, right? There's a lot of judgment, severity, um, strictness. Um, but that ultimately, for, for within the Kabbalistic schema, the 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 ideal um, state of divinity is that Chesed and deen are in a state of harmony and balance. But still, they're all received right, right and left, Chesed and Deen, but they're still all receiving the purest energy of Rachamim. Which is to say, which is why when they are balanced and they filter, are filtered through Tiferet, which is the Sfirah below Chesed and Gevura, that Chesed, that Tiferet is also called Rachamim. Because it, it, while it is the balance point, it leans toward Rachamim. Which is to say that there is still a place for Dean, right? There is still a place for um, strict justice in certain cases, right? There is, there is still a place for judgment and severity, but that it should all be infused with Rachami. I think is the point, right? So it's not saying that Dean goes completely out the window because because um, at the very least we need it in this world, right? Um, but that if Dean, right, then ne so neither Chesed, neither Chesed nor Dean can be the, can be the whole deal, right? Because as pure Chesed or love would either drown the person in love, or or would be so open-hearted that there that there wouldn't be the the needed moments of, of Gevura and Deen or, or judgment and strict and stricture or strictness. But that nevertheless we should err on the side of Rachamim, I think is part of the point. Right? So in other words, and perhaps that's because it's our all too human nature to already err on the side of, of Deen, of, of judgment, judgmentalness, and certainly on the side of ego, right? So that we all we all struggle um, uh, with with the, with uh, um, with how to have a healthy sense of self and, and self confidence, with also um, not falling victim to pride and defensiveness and uh, harshness toward others, right? And um, I would say, given the way our world is, we were probably more in need of 
erring on the side of rachamim than on, than on the side of din, but that but that we can't do without din uh, altogether. Yes. I think that one of the things maybe we can talk about is our pop culture. Uh, I think we're filtering when you hear the word love. I don't know about when you hear the word alcohol, but I don't want to hear the word love. There's a certain kind of a, I can't associate that from a pop culture kind of thing. And as Americans, I mean, I know it's for Americans, but it, it, in general, I feel like there's a kind of called love. It's more fuzzy, you know, so we have a certain set of associations with it. And I, I have a feeling that this, these writers didn't have those associations. It might have been a lot more of a challenge to this. And I, I mean, just even thinking about what their circumstances might have been, you know, in 18th century Poland, it might have been a lot more challenging to love a guy who feels an extraordinary than it is, it is today. I think, and I feel like part of the clue is a person will be complete in all of his ethical religious qualities when he loves his friends and so Talk about that. What is the complete and all these ethical religious qualities? That might be a much higher bar than the Americans have to sort of, you know, uh, be happy, be your friend, and all that kind of thing. Yes, yes, thank, thank you. And, and, uh, and to some extent, this also, this also relates to the, to the question of the relation between, between uh, Shalem and Shalom, right, that was raised uh, in, by a couple of people in Kabuta, right? Of, so, you, so absolutely, this this part, right, this part that's bold in the second piece on page two, v'yeshalem b'chol hamidot keshe yohav lachaviro kamo, right? That a person will be will achieve completeness, will be complete and whole in all of one's midot, right? In all of one's I translate as ethical, spiritual qualities, but it's sort of the elements of character, right? Of our midot. Um, or Midos, as it's contending in some contemporary contexts, is talked about. But Midot as as both as attributes and elements of character, which are reflections of the divine Midot. And when and when will that happen? When will that completion and wholeness take place? Keshe Yohav Lachaviro Kamo, right? So basically, it's when you when that person loves their friend or their fellow, their neighbor as themselves, right? With a with, uh, uh, with as though they were themselves, which, which as, as an aside, might might also might also be um, uh, uh, assuming that we that, that self love is uh, is uh, taken for granted, right? We're going to love as ourselves because we're already going to love ourselves, right? So that's 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 another separate problem. Uh, but the but the idea anywhere that's a problem that goes back to the to the Torah's formulation of it. But the very idea that 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 cultivating that love for others, cultivating that love for others, will lead toward a state of wholeness and completion in character. You know, right? That that love, um, or or ahava, if, if love, if the word if the word love takes us takes us to to some of that contemporary contemporary. Uh, this contemporary association, but that, but ahava, loving, uh, relating to God through ahava and relating to others through ahava is 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 a theme of long-standing in Jewish ethics and Jewish spirituality. That cultivating a posture of ahava of love toward toward other people is the ground of character. 
that that is the that that all of, that 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 good character is first and foremost rooted in cultivating in in leading with ahava. We might say that right, leading with love. In the same sense that we could say that right, that leading with rachamim. Uh, is the ground of good character. Rachamim and love are, are actually uh, related etymologically, right? To say, to say, rechimu uh, in Aramaic means love. So, it's, so they, they, they both are expressions of this pure state of empathy and caring, um, with which, with with which the ethical life must be um, infused. Um, but let's let's turn. I just want to turn to um, to this to this piece of um, um, yes. Before well, before we do that, you, you had a question. Yeah, I guess kind of related to the last couple things that you said. You noticed a while ago what you said, uh, and if you notice in the second thing, and if you notice this friend of yourself. Oh, more so when you know the Holy Blessed One who actually freely given love, love with no thought of return. Well, actually, God does expect something in return, quote, of human beings. He expects people to obey the mitzvah, he expects everybody else, including us, to be ethical. So God does make some demands, whether it's in return or whatever. So freely given is interesting. Right. Could be. But there is something also Expected from you in the church. Yes, very nice. So the, qu- the question of is uh, right, and, that, and, that, and that's also the that's also the the covenantal love of of exchange, right? Or or that so that sense of the breach of the covenant that's 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 articulated at at Sinai. But it's interesting, despite that, right? And despite the fact that the God of the Hebrew Bible is is also a jealous God and an angry God and all these things, right? So, so there's a lot of dissonance, you might say. Um, but, but the Schlafavari least seems to be privileging and arguing on behalf of of God's perfection as represented by by the purest gift of love, in the same sense that 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 we realize our our divinity or the divi- the divine root roots of our humanity most powerfully in being able to give a freely given love to other people. Um, so let's 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 dwell a little bit more on um, the manifestation of this thematic of love and peace and divinity in the context in the Schla's reflection on um, on intimate romantic love. Um, and maybe we can have another volunteer who might like to read a couple of lines before I interrupt you at random. Please. This is, I'm sorry, on page four of, of five, the top, um, page four of five, the, the top text, the last piece from the Schlaf. So, so, um, so let me just pause you there for, for a second. 
so sheyesh shalom gadol benish lishto. Right. So first, so first of all, um, right. He, he is ultimately spiritualizing the the need for a state of shalom between um, between uh, committed partners. Right. In, in this case, between husband and wife. And 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 this is also building upon the idea of shalom in the previous in the previous case shalom as divine name, right? This is directly related to this. Why kishem yudhe, part of the tetragrammaton, part of the ineffable divine name shorei nehem in. In that bond of love, and specifically that in this the implication here being that of married or married love or or, or uh, committed love, or in this case of, of, of uh, heteronormative married love. Um, and, you know, the schwa wouldn't recognize what I was saying, but that's, uh, I'll, I'll say it anyway. Right? Kishem yudhe that the name of God dwells among them. Nothing less than the name of God dwells among them, and that is correlated to Shalom. Right? As it is said, um, uh, whereas it, and here he's citing a Gemara in, uh, in Sota, um, right, so that, that, uh, that uh, the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, dwells among them, and they are not devoured by fire. And we'll see a little bit more what that means in a moment. Vigim, uh, and maybe as, uh, um, so that, uh, as loud as you can so that uh, the folks up here that don't, that you don't have a microphone, sorry. Ah, oh my goodness. As if I hadn't read this before. Ve'im osim machloket chas v'shalom, and if they um, have conflict, as mochakim Hashem. Right? Machloket and fight, conflict between ish ve'ishto is nothing less than the seemingly or not seemingly, but actual, literal, blasphemous erasure of the divine ineffable name. You're not supposed to do that, I'm told. You're not supposed to erase the divine name. But the state of conflict is, is, so, is, is such a harmful force that it actually erases the divine name. That divine name that is Shalom, which is also Yud He. Right? And then Nishar Esh Ve'esh Barminan. Why? Because, somebody tell us, what's the clever slash brilliant hermeneutical move that's being made here? Yes, beautiful, exactly. So, so it's the erase, right? Ish 
Man has a yud in it, and isha, woman, has a hay. And when the yud hay, that is to say, the divine name, is erased through machloket, then they both cease to be ish and isha, and they're just ish. They're just fire. The fire of anger, the fire of destruction. Because God's name has been erased through the erasure of shalom and the erasure of peace, which is God. God is the indwelling of peace. Vehine. So, so, um, so, what does this mean? Right, of course, you can see the translation here on the slide. Also, um, this if if you think, right, if we we know, of course, that shalom ben adam lechaveiro is is a a, a um, extremely important mitzvah and. Um, uh, then, then all the more so with the case of, of Ishli Ishto, right? It's kind of even, even more so is this significant. Right? right? So if, if you can, right, uh, I, I, I guess the statement is, if, if, you can, uh, if you can be, um, cultivate peace between yourself and your friend's wife, then all the more so with your own wife, it seems to be. It seems to be a kind of a, a, a written by men for men kind of thing. Where, where, is, where are they talking to a friend's wife? Yeah, it's a little perplexing, right? We didn't, didn't know there was didn't know there was that much uh, schmoozing. Um, so the right, so 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 where the so the broader principle is if if it's important. To be peaceful and nice and uh, kind to other people, then all the more so um, with your intimate partner, right? Where 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 so often uh, some of the some of our worst character traits can come out, right? Right, so, so maybe the. Um, and I don't sorry, think it's fair to be young people in the audience to be like, this is the goal, and I just love and love forever. And that's it. It is not always a 
Right, right, and um, I think that that's I think that that's fair and important, and per and perhaps the better adaptation of this is to say um, that uh, that that the extreme that the schla is talking about, or at least we might imagine the schla ideally to be talking about, is that there's a certain threshold of machloket, a certain threshold of conflict that becomes very destructive. Right um, and destructive in the sense of a fire that 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 destroys. Right, um, and it's not to say that there that there isn't that there isn't machloket, but that it has to be um, machloket that is not that doesn't cross the threshold into h, right into 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 fiery anger and and per, and perhaps the, the the further way to to add to what you're to what you're saying is. Is the same the same manner in which there is there is din in the world, right? And part of our nature is is sometimes to embody severity or judgment or harshness, and sometimes it's to embody chesed. But that still we need to ultimately lean toward rachamim and chesed in in our interpersonal relationships. That even though there is going to be deen, even though there's going to be machloket, that the ideal here is how do I infuse that ultimately with rachamim, right? How do I infuse my relationships, um, right, progressing from the, out, the outer circle of, of most generality to the most intimate, where sometimes more of those machlokets can come out, right? Um, how can I still live that love and live that and live that state of relationship in a way that is still infused with ahava and, and drachami. Right? Can still be be guided by a principle of empathy. So I think I think what you're saying is a very important um, a very important uh, caveat. Um, but but as a kavana, as an intention it's also, I think, quite powerful and important to think that just as just that that the, the nature of what happens in this relationship is the stakes are nothing less than than the divine self, than the divine presence. The stakes are nothing less than the prohibition against erasing the divine name. Right, and then when there is excessive anger, when there is excessive machloket, when there isn't, when there isn't conflict that's natural, that can still be guided by empathy, that then we have taken the sacred and made it profane. Then we have taken something as as exalted as the, and holy as the divine name and committed the heretical sin of erasing the divine name. Right, so it's a kind of reminder that relates the human relationships and its highest form in a sense of intimate relationship requires that we think about it as uh, with, with the holiness and sacredness of theology. Right, that we need to think about that relationship, all of our relationships, and certainly that most sacred of our relationships, 
as an embodiment of the divine. That when that when it is performed, when it is embodied in its best sense, right? Not an unflawed, right? And and and, and yes, an imperfect state of relation. It nevertheless, it nevertheless can still reflect the indwelling presence of God if it doesn't rise to the level of H where where the, the, where, where the divinity remains as a kind of shelter of shalom. Right? So it becomes, in that sense, thinking about the Ben Adam or thinking about the Abdullah in its highest sense, in the in that in that in the sacredness of of marriage, in the sacredness of committed uh, family partnership, that the the guiding kavanah must be to keep to be, to return to shalom and to be guided by an aspiration towards shalom, even when uh, natural masloka takes place. I think he's saying that that uh, that that when that when love is replaced by sina or tension. To, of, of, a, of a destructive nature, that then it is as though God has been banished from that holy space. And I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think. Um, I don't think he would say, or we would want to say, that there is no God in that relationship. But it's to say that when there is that kind of, when there is that kind of machloket. To the extreme, then, then the the sacred space of divine indwelling has been pushed, has been has been pushed aside. But I think it's more like that now because once it is removed, once you do move God, then um, you become uh, the fire devours you, and that relationship no longer exists. Mm. So it's it's like it's sort of that. Like it, 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 if you completely remove that, that aspect of God, like it will no longer be in existence. Right. So is it, it, that, does, it, does it mean right? Does it mean that um, does it mean that that has been that the, that the relationship in that sense has been completely devoured by by fire? Right? Um, but it's also a sense of the divine presence as a protective. Shelter, right? A protective shelter of peace, of shalom, um, and that when there is when there is shalom, even if it's not a complete and and um, unflawed um, state of peacefulness, uh, there there is still shelter from the destructiveness of of H. Right. So the kavana should be. In all of our relationships, and this is the in its most ideal form, that of the that of the um, the married or the committed partnered relationship, the kavana should be about 
keeping the yud hey, keeping the name of God, that is to say, God's presence, God who is called Shalom, always in mind in creating that space. And that that's, in, that is truly what it is to, to build the house in Israel, you might say, right? To take the other language from the, from, from, uh, from the chuppah. Right, is to, is to build is to build a house where peace and divinity can dwell, um, and and that is and that is a lesson I think both to take with us into all of our most intimate family relationships and and romantic relationships, but is also a guiding kavana to take. Um, with us throughout our throughout our lives, right? It's, it's we, we often are able to put on our best selves um, outside of those intimate contexts, right? And ideally, we put our put on our best our best face in the intimate context as well. But we still all need to carry that consciousness of bringing the yud hey and of shalom into all of the ways in which we relate to other people of bringing, of radiating that ahava in such a way um, that we become true instruments of redemption and divinity.